This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in the city of Melbourne. Today's show comes from St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Moreland in Melbourne's Inner North. Now, we usually record before a live audience, but due to coronavirus restrictions, today we have an online audience. Today's big question, how can we thrive in anxious times? We're asking this question today to Nikki Chiswell. Nikki works as a psychologist where she has a special interest in supporting people facing mental health and relationship issues such as depression, anxiety, stress and relationship problems. She's also written numerous songs and musical albums and she's been playing, writing and performing for many years and she joins me now. Nikki, welcome to Bigger Questions. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. Now, Nikki, you've written many songs and albums. So have you had any go gold or platinum? I'm afraid not. I don't have one of those things on my wall, a beautiful square, shiny thing. Oh, you haven't got the the sort of... I've seen them in other people's houses, but not mine. Okay. So you have written and performed for many years. Do you worry that people won't like your songs? I think most creative people go through this whole thing of, you know, is my creativity, is my baby going to be rejected? (laughs) But you kind of get over it and you have to kind of just... Do it anyway. Do it anyway. <laughs> okay. Your skin gets toughened by plenty of, uh, right. of hard That's knocks, right. so to speak. Yes, yes. yes, so, yes. You know, the fish John West rejects, as it were. You know, like <laughs> you kind of, you just get used to it. Yeah. Yes, yes. Well, thanks for joining us today, um, Nikki. And to kick off bigger questions, we like to ask some smaller questions just to get us thinking. Today we're talking with Nikki Chiswell about thriving in anxious times. So, Nikki, in today's Smaller Questions, we're asking how much you know about books on anxiety. Now, I'm not sure if you've read many books on anxiety at all. Um, well, I'm starting to feel nervous now, so that's <laughs> okay. all right. That's all right. Well, hopefully you're not too anxious. Um, there's two questions, both multiple choice. Okay. Okay, question one. There was a famous poem written by poet W.H. Auden called... The Age of Anxiety. When was the poem published? Was it A, 1947, B, 1967, C, 1987, or D, 2007? Well, I will go with 1947, but it's total one in four chance here. I have no idea. Well, the one in four chance has proved to be correct (laughs) because it is actually A, 1947. The poem was uh, set in a wartime bar in New York City and describes a man's quest to find substance and identity in a shifting and increasingly industrialised world. I'll go and look it up when I get home. It also, well, it also won a Pulitzer Prize for poetry in 1948 and inspired a symphony by Leonard Bernstein. So you've never read The Age of Anxiety, um, this poem? No, I, I really like that John Mayer song called The Age of Worry, but that just, you know... That's probably in, also inspired by that poem. Possibly, or, possibly <laughs> or perhaps by the age we live in, maybe. Or That's who right. knows? Who knows? That's right. Well, you're doing well. Um, question two, which is also musically related. Uh, legendary British musician Pete Townsend, guitarist and principal songwriter for the band The Who, wrote a novel called The Age of Anxiety. There you go. When was it published? Was it A, 1969, B, 1989, C, 2009, or D, 2019? Let's go 2009, but I have no idea. Oh, you were close, but not close. It was 2019, it was actually, it was D, yes. Apparently he gained a lot of inspiration for the book by talking with people he knew, for he noticed that there were a lot of anxious and fearful people. There were anxiety and fear on people's minds, hence the title, The Age of Anxiety. So, Nikki, there's no need to be anxious because you passed. You got one of our two smaller questions right. And if we had an audience here today, there would be enormous and rapturous applause. Um, Thank you, thank you. So, Nikki, so on Pete Townsend's website, 
it says about his book, what could be a more apt description for the time we are currently living in than the age of anxiety? Yet even before the coronavirus pandemic, our culture was described as anxious. So even as far back as 1947, with the publish- mm-hmm. publication of W.H. Alden's poem. So do you think that it's too much to describe our modern culture as the age of anxiety? Well, I, it probably is not too much mm-hmm. um, because, I mean, just in terms of the evidence, that the sort of um, diagnosis of anxiety and depression has just increased you know, increased hugely in the in these last years, you know, since that time. But mm-hmm. there's been particular spikes in the last 20 to 30 and then even since 2007 when we all got the internet on our phone. Right, yeah. so, And they can sort of... There's this really interesting study in the States which is sort of saying that that's actually been also contributing to the demise of the mental health of the wealthy and worried West. Oh, okay. So why, why is that? Why, why, is, uh, the, why is it significant that the internet on our phone has contributed to anxiety? I think that it meant uh, partly that we've been unable to just be with ourselves because we touch our phone over 2,000 times a day and um, th- there's a kind of an addiction theme coming in here that when we are alone, we're finding it hard to be with ourselves, so it's affecting our relationship and sense of self, plus the way that it is affecting our mind and what we are exposing our minds to, it's affecting our well-being and, yeah, for all sorts of different kind of dimensions of that. Yeah, yeah, and it's affecting social connection and our sedentary lifestyle and all that kind of thing. So, but I don't, I don't want to just be this old lady saying, oh, technology's <laughs> bad, because, you know, it's a wonderful thing as well, but it's, we have to learn to curate um, and manage, and as I read a book recently, they talked about parenting our phone, right. like, so that we actually put it to bed right. and don't just let it be part of running our lives all day. Yeah. Now, you've mentioned just now that uh, rates of diagnosed anxiety uh, have been rising, and even before the coronavirus pandemic, but lockdowns have heightened and worsened mm. the feelings of anxiety. That's so has right. the pandemic mm. heightened our anxiety in already anxious times? I think that's right, yeah. I, I think that's exactly right. And that whatever you were contending with before, I like to think of it as sort of like a stress bucket that we all have and live with. Mm. It was already had whatever you were living with or con- whatever I was living with or contending with that was perhaps a stress coming at me or some pressure or difficulties or my own mental health issues. And then when the pandemic came... There's this unseen threat that our body kind of responds to of just this virus lurking. There's this change of lifestyle, um, things becoming unfamiliar and the uncertainty of life and all these kind of things added into an already full bucket kind of thing. So I think that it will amplify whatever issues you had before. But then there's, you know, big questions are coming up. You know, how do we live through this and... um, and, and also our social connections are affected. So there's a lot of grief as well about how we are connecting to the world and the lifestyle things that we liked to do and the loss of a lot of things. You know, it might be a loss of somebody we love through the disease itself or it might be just a loss of um, our own freedoms or it may be a loss of a job and financial security or, you know, there's the loss of three-dimensional human connecting and we're mm. not designed to live a two-dimensional life, do you yeah. know what I mean? And, um, and so there's, a, there's loss there, and that all adds into our stress bucket, I think. Yeah. yeah. So but you speak about the stress bucket being sort of overstressed, perhaps, in the pandemic, but mm. and you've touched on um, mobile phones being a contributing factor and some of those sort of issues underlying that, but what, what is driving our anxiety in our age at the moment? 
I think that, that rapid change in the last sort of generation has meant that um, th there's a sort of, I guess, three or four different dimensions that have been affected. One is just how we use our body. Uh, so the, what we eat has been shown to have a significant contribution to our mental health and wellbeing. Mm -hmm. Fantastic stuff coming out of Deakin University and these international studies on just if you eat rubbish, you feel rubbish. It's really interesting and that this is a really big major factor. Um, our sedentary lifestyle, you mm -hmm. know, um, which again can be contributed, linked to technology, but our sedentary lifestyle and um, the demise of us actually using the bodies that we have. And anxiety is a Anxiety itself is a physiological and emotional response to a threat that's coming at you. And it's gearing you up to actually move your body, to fight, to run away, to fix whatever it is that needs fixing or to sort of be on guard, ready to do something about the threat. But if we keep having these sort of stimulus of the threat coming at us but we're not moving our bodies we become more anxious and mm. then eventually we burn out and get depressed and, you know, so that, the lack of exercise is huge and, you know, like I, I keep saying to my clients and to myself every time I say it, get your heart rate up to 120 beats a minute for half an hour if you can, with under your doctor's advice, of course. Um, <laughs> you know, running or swimming or dancing is a really good thing to do in lockdown. Um, it, it will help your anxiety levels. So there's a body element to it. There's a mind element, as I mentioned, what, curating what we put into our mind and what we let our mind be exposed to. What sort, of, what sort of things there are you talking about, the things that you expose your mind to? Yeah, yeah. Well, like I was mentioning before, this study that's saying, you know, the amount of screen time we have is actually affecting our mental health. And it's affecting, even more than that as adults, it's affecting our, the development of the brains of our children mm. and our teens. So it's really important to sort of think about what we're putting and manage what we're putting into our mind. But there's this other whole dimension, isn't there, of our existential, spiritual sense of who we are, what are we doing on the planet? Some of the, um, some of the bigger questions of life, the, perhaps. Some of the bigger questions. <laughs> glad you brought that up, Rob. Um, some of the bigger questions of life and, and what we're doing here and that, that this is a very deep, important thing that every human has to contend with. Mm. Um, so mm. how do they connect with anxiety then, about those, those, the answers those to those questions? bigger questions, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, interestingly, there is psychological evidence since kind of Carl Jung, sort of an older sort of one of the parents of modern psychology, these existential questions are central to our well-being. And there is evidence, no matter what your spiritual beliefs, that if you have a sense of being connected or aware of something beyond yourself and you have a sense of purpose and meaning to life that is bigger than just chasing pleasure, experiences or status or things, um, that you tend to do better. Really, and, that, yeah. that's actually the, the... And that, and yeah, and, and on the flip side, if if chasing feeling good all the time, if chasing experiences, if chasing um, things or status, that those things are always never quite fulfilling enough. So we kind of lift our game and get the pace faster and we, we're chasing those things, you know, and then combine that with the fact that we're probably running away from difficult feelings we might be contending with because we don't know how to be with ourselves anymore because mm. we're on the phone. We kind of, it just gears up our threat system and our inability to stop and calm down. Mm. So, so why do you think that is? Why is it that if you have, are connected to something bigger, so to speak, mm. that it seems to help with, with anxiety? Yes. Um, well, I think it particularly is helpful when... Times are tough, like now, as the world changes, to have a sense that my happiness is not what the universe re revolves around. 
and that there is a sense of belonging to a bigger picture in which these difficulties have, a, you have a sense of meaning and purpose in that mm. is really important. I mean, in my, my own faith, and I'm a Christian, obviously, um, in my own faith, I think it's, it's a daily, hourly turning towards the one who is in control with the stuff I can't control. And that genuinely does help me calm down. That, that really makes, you, makes a difference to you. Yes, and um, it really, really does. Like, I don't come from a religious family or anything. And before I became a Christian, I was gripped with existential angst. Yeah. Now, that's not to say that I've never been anxious since. Please be assured of that. <laughs> like, well, and you're a bit I've nervous had... about the smaller questions we're asking just now. That's right. <laughs> you know, like, I think I was born anxious. I think I was born worried for all sorts of reasons. And, um, but the existential stuff was particularly central for me in my Well, do you want story. to tell us a bit about yeah. your story then? Where were you in terms of feeling anxious and your yeah. background? And then what changed? Um, so some of my earliest memories, like I was born into this really loving, kind family, mum and dad in London and, uh, and two older sisters, but they went to school before I was born because I was a bit younger than them and so I had a lot of time to think. Time by yourself, so to speak. Time by my, yeah, to be with myself, exactly, well spotted. And uh, in those times, I, I remember being four years old and really, I think it was around the time that I realised that life doesn't go on forever and so that big existential of like a question of, what happens after you die? What are we doing on the planet? What are we all here for? It gripped my mind, even as a four-year-old. Wow. But more worrying than that was the fact that nobody talked about this stuff. Shouldn't this be really important? And, and those kind of things haunted me. And um, I, I went to a fairly frightening Catholic school <laughs> For the in, you start school at four in England, and so when I was four and five, I was at a, a, a pre-Vatican II convent school, mm. which means you know scary black black-clad nuns with big chains and keys around their waist, kind of thing. Um, anyway, and so I had this sense that God was there, and I was very accountable to Him, and that He was watching. Um, so I sort of felt that God was probably cross with me that I wasn't good enough, that kind of stuff. Wouldn't that heighten your anxiety? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It it did, yes. And, you know, I was waking up in the night as a kid all the time, like, right. you know, just worrying about these big questions, Yeah. big, bigger questions. So how does that work then? Because you were saying before that connection to something bigger helps with anxiety, but here it religion does. was making it worse. Yeah, and when I was 12 or 13, I went on a Christian camp for the weekend that the Christians at my school ran and I walked into a room of some girls who were praying to God and singing to God and they talked to him like he loved them and they loved him. And that was it. I just knew that the missing thing had been that this God is not some kind of abstract rather... I sort of imagined him like this. Yeah, that's sort of, you know, tapping your foot, eye roll, crossed arms yes. vibe. Uh, not at all. Like, but, but they were sort of like God, God was sort of turning towards us and leaning forward in his throne to listen to, the, to us and, um, and that he, his heart was the heart of a father's love for a kid and, um, and that I was accepted and loved by him even though... I had never been good enough or, uh, you know, I'd done bad things or whatever. Um, and so it was a moment for me of conversion, I think. Right. Um, yeah, and that where, was a yeah. transformative moment for you? It was. It, nothing's been the same since. Yeah? Yeah. What yeah. do you mean? What, what changed? Well, I just, it was like my eyes were opened, <laughs> like the old song says, you know, I was blind but now I could see. 
that I was not alone in the universe and, I was, and the universe, I wasn't trying to run the world. Like you tend to, when you think it's all up to you, you tend to over-function, if you know what I mean. You tend to kind of think, oh, I better make this happen or, and I better make my family happy and I better make sure that this is fixed and, you know, and which is a very anxiety-producing thing. Um, but when I had a sense that I'm not running the universe, there was this sense of relief mm. and, um, but also a sense of presence and love that I, when things were up or when things were down, I was not alone. But also... With that came the fact that you don't just get to do life by yourself, you get to do it with the family of God. And since the day I became a Christian, the family of God and the church has been absolutely central in my life. You just can't beat the family of God. Sometimes there's nothing worse. (laughs) You know, in this fallen world, we don't get it right a lot of the time. But I'm telling you, there's nothing better. But it's still been a powerful and uh, transformative experience for you. That's right, yeah. yeah. So you've just presented sort of two alternative visions in some sense of religion. You've got Mm. one where there's a a judgmental, uh, anxiety-producing kind of fearful God. You've got one of love and acceptance and of community. So how do we know which one's right? Well, that's a question to be investigated, isn't it? Mm. Uh, uh, and and how, do we, how do we know it's right? Well, um, there have been different seasons in my life where I've doubted it. You know, is Christianity the right one? Is it, you know, should they, in this whole sort of carnival of possibilities, how is Christianity the right one? Yeah. And for me, it all came down to the person and work of this man who walked around Israel uh, 2,000 years ago, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And particularly for me with this existential struggle that I'd had the whole way along, Jesus' resurrection from the dead was, in my times of great doubt and questioning, I would ask myself, do I think Jesus actually rose from the dead? Have I looked at the evidence? And I kept saying, I think he did. Well, no one else did that, so it's probably Mm. worth listening to him about life and death issues and what happens after you die because he's been through it and come out the other side. And so, uh, you know, for me, that's why I think that that Jesus' uh, spotlight on religion uh, or on uh, spirituality, uh, for me, uh, as well as my own personal experience, which other people can't experience, but Mm. I can testify to my own personal experience of knowing the Lord Jesus. Um, But I also think that there's um, other things that sort of say, to me, this is a very cogent and all of life encompassing thing that helps me make sense of the world Mm. and my place in it. Mm. And believing that it really happened and that Jesus is real and true helps with that, particularly engaging anxiety. Yes, because it's not all about whether I feel close to God today or not. It's that 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus became a man, was born, but that he died, was buried, rose again on the third day and is now ascended into heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father um, and pours out his spirit on us. Uh, the, these are, this sort of historical, this is the earthy historicity of it mm. um, is absolutely crucial. And, you know, I just love where Paul in the Bible says, look, if the resurrection didn't happen, we are losers and a joke. Mm. He said, we, we, we should be, people should feel very, very sorry for us. But I think it did happen and we've looked into it and, you know, it's worth investigating that. because so it's true, yeah. but it's also transformative. It's changed it's, your life. It does. It changes your sense of who you are in the world, but it also, knowing God in itself is transformative as he helps us grow and change mm. as we walk with him through life. Now, the issue of anxiety is confronted in the New Testament part of the Bible uh, mm. by the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, where he writes in chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So, Nikki, how does this help? Because uh, surely by just saying to someone who's anxious, don't be anxious, isn't particularly helpful advice. You're so right there. I, I, told her, I actually said that to my son once and he just went, Mum, okay, <laughs> you do this for a living. How, how is that going to help? And I thought, it's so helpful. Yeah, right, that's right. Yeah. But I think in this particular passage, if we can just go to the bit before, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Um, you don't have to kind of rush around panicking. Let be reasonable. Um, but then the next bit is the bit. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is, he's real and he's present. That's why he can say, don't be anxious about anything. It's about that existential, who am I? What am I doing in the universe? There is a God, he's real and he's here and he's in control and he loves you. That's a very different to saying, oh, just stop it. Just don't be anxious. (laughs) That's right. Do you know what I mean? That's very different. So that's, that's, it's, it's just this sense, or even Peter walking on the water. It's not that the waves and the wind weren't dangerous. Of course they were, but he, he took his eyes off the fact, it's okay, the one in charge of the waves and the wind is here. Now, I, I do want to say that that doesn't mean that Christians don't get anxious. And as I've said, I get anxious too. And anxiety is a great normal human response to stress and stimulus. But sometimes we also get into the habit of anxiety as well. And that um, we don't want to punish ourselves for feeling anxious because, interestingly, it doesn't help you stop being anxious if you beat yourself up and are really mean to yourself mm. about being anxious. I call that meta-anxiety, being anxious about being anxious. Um, but, but that there is a worldview and a, a way of understanding that we need to keep cultivating and a habit that we need to keep cultivating of understanding that, oh, that's right, the Lord is at hand. Now, I wasn't born into a Christian family, and so my default position is kind of humanist agnosticism mm. slash atheism, and I default to that when times are hard, whereas this is like, no, 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 it's okay. The Lord is at hand. Mm. And it makes a big difference, yeah. Uh, it does, yeah. So, a big connection mm. to that. So there, is there a, then a difference between uh, feeling anxious and mm. having an anxiety disorder? Yeah, yeah, there is. Um, there's different kinds of anxiety disorders, but as I explained before, um, anxiety is a normal, healthy, extraordinarily amazing human response to a sense of threat or to a perceived threat. The anxiety disorder is when um, you have that response that's not in line with the threat being presented. So where you have a sense of um, being under attack or, you know, your heart rate goes up, you feel sort of panicked or big feelings of dread, even um, panic attacks, which are kind of where your heart and breathing get really right out of control, you know, great distress about threats that aren't there or threats that are very small. And or if you, you know, with what we call generalised anxiety disorder, if for a period of six months or more you've worried about something and all sorts of different things, you spent most of the most time worrying, then we say that's sort of anxiety out of kilter. Mm. Yeah. And also if you have this sense that the anxiety and the worries that we carry are interfering with our functioning in life. So it's interfering with your ability to go to work or ability to connect with other people and have relationships or if it's affecting your ability to sort of just sleep or function generally. This normal response has kind of gone on steroids and got out of, all out of kilter with, and you know, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. that's helpful. Yeah, thank you. Now, you just talked about uh, one of the ways of helping with anxiety is connected to this bigger 
issue or this bigger idea of, of God being bigger than us, being near uh, and also being in control. So there's a question from our text line from okay. our online yep. audience yep. which has come through, which is, has the pandemic, in your view, caused people to realise they are not in control of everything in their life? Uh, and hence the showings of anxiety and angst that we see around us. Mm, yeah, that's a great question that I think contains its own answer in a way, <laughs> doesn't it? Yeah. I think it does. It, it brings up, like, you, it's almost like we've had our faces slammed up against the window of reality that we are not in control here. And this sense that as amazingly developed as we are in the West in our medical understanding and in and, and the, the, the sort of ways that we are trying to control and manage our own, the world that we live in, this pandemic has shown us that we are at the mercy of things we can't control. And, and that brings up those bigger questions, doesn't mm. it? Another question from our text line from our online audience. Why do we find it hard to be alone with ourselves? Look, I think, um, as a friend of mine said... Uh, when you put your foot on the brake, all the stuff at the back of the station wagon comes flying forward. <laughs> I just love that picture. <laughs> it's really great. And um, I think one of the, when we stop, things come up for us. Difficult feelings come up with us. And I think in our culture where we're chasing feeling good all the time, we kind of push them aside with distraction or addictions or, you know, let's just do anything except feel bad. Let's just chase, go and do something else. Mm. Let's, just face, let's get our phone out of our pocket. So they become yeah. distractions then. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and the, but to actually be with difficult feelings that will come up for ourselves, um, it's hard and it, it takes uh, discipline and um, it takes self-compassion as well to be able to look after yourself in, in those sort of things. So it can be, take a bit of courage to slow down and be with ourselves. Past hurts... Uh, stuff from childhood, um, experiences that you're still processing or perhaps even just the pace of our lives means that we don't process things as we go or we don't feel the feelings we need to feel as we go. So they all just kind of build up in this bank that we avoid more and more and more, if that makes sense. Uh, and so to be with ourselves, we're just not great at it. So Nikki, how can we thrive in anxious times? It probably... Um, work on your exercise, but also our social connections are really important. So isolation is a pandemic as well as this virus. Um, making sure that we're sort of cultivating good connections, if you can, in, in relating, relating. But that's that spiritual existential stuff is really important to pay attention to and um, work out what is your purpose and meaning and um, what, what, how your values can guide you, not just the ups and downs of your feelings mm. every day. And can I just say, thrive does not mean... Woo, feel great all the time. Thrive means growing and maturing in the face of whatever's coming at you. Well, let me leave you with some of the Bible's answer to this big question, how can we thrive in anxious times from Philippians 4, 5 to 6. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Thanks very much to our guest today, oh, a Nikki pleasure. Chiswell. A pleasure. Thanks, Rob. Enjoy Bigger Questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. Go to patreon.com slash biggerquestions.